Thank you very much, Kendra, for leading us in worship, sitting right over here. As those of you who have been attending or following us online know, we are currently going through a series on the last week of Jesus' life. We decided not to wait for Easter to do that, to actually take a look at each day of the last week and to begin a few months ago, a couple months ago, going into Easter rather than just waiting until a couple of uh, weekends before Easter. So we're at the point now where we're moving toward the end of the week. We've seen uh, Jesus ride triumphantly into the city of Jerusalem. We've seen him go into the temple and flip some tables. We've seen him teach on the Mount of Olives. We have even taken a, a week and looked at Judas. And uh, now we're moving toward the end of the week when everything starts to get really bad for our Lord. You know, it's, we've also been going through some bad times recently, dealing with the pandemic of the coronavirus. Uh, unfortunately, it's such that people have lost their lives. What's interesting about the human spirit, though, is that even in the most difficult and tragic times, people find a way to uh, pass the time to amuse and entertain themselves. And in this day and age, the most popular, most common way to do that of late has been the meme. Now, there have been a lot of entertaining memes that have come out of this tragedy. Uh, one of the ones that has particularly amused me, and I don't know if you've seen it or not, and there's been several different kinds of this one, and that has been the hand-washing memes. It's uh, one of those posters that takes you through the steps of how to wash your hands and how long to do it. Who knew that we would ever live in a day when people would need to be taught how to wash their hands in that way? But here we are. And some of the funnier ones have been set to songs and poetry and things like that. And one of the key ways to fighting this virus during this time is washing your hands. Washing your hands, much like many other practices that have come to light for the purposes of hygiene, are in fact great for your hygiene. And they're things that we should do because they are good things. But tonight... As we look at God's word, we're going to look at some times when washing your hands is actually a very bad thing. In fact, washing your hands, while physically it's great for your hygiene, metaphorically it's actually pretty bad for your spiritual life. It's terrible for your walk with the Lord. Tonight we're going to look at the sixth day of the last week of Jesus' life, and we're going to see that as we explore it, that we can learn some things from how he, and tonight, how others handled that. The next thing that we learn occurs surrounding the trials of Jesus. This was the day that Jesus underwent six corrupt trials before being crucified. The last of these trials was before Pontius Pilate. A little bit of background on this particular passage that we're going to look tonight. We see that after condemning Jesus, Judas, one of the guys that we're going to look at tonight, is consumed by his guilt, and he does something about it, but not what he should have done about it. And after that, following the five trials that would come about as a result, following Judas's uh, betrayal and condemnation of the Lord, we're going to see a sixth trial where Jesus is put standing before Pilate. And Pilate presumes Jesus to be an innocent man. In fact, he testifies to this in a couple of other passages. And he could have freed Jesus, and yet instead decides to condemn him as well. As we look at God's word tonight, in Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 26, if you need to turn there, I'll give you a second to do that. Matthew chapter 27, 
verses 1 through 26. Tonight, we're going to see two examples of how washing your hands is, in fact, terrible for your walk. Because that's what both of these gentlemen do. They wash their hands, but not in the way that the CDC has told us that we need to do right now. As we look at God's word in Matthew chapter 27, we get a little bit of background in the first couple of verses. They say, When morning came, all of the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. That's where we find ourselves. Jesus has been tried five different occasions. There's a sixth occasion that we're about to see. And things are really bad for our Lord right now, and he is about to stand before Pilate. Matthew, though, decides before introducing the sixth trial to give us a little bit of background, a little bit of um, behind-the-scenes stuff, if you will, about what was going on with Judas during all of that. And it's with Judas that we find our first bad hand-washing example of a time when it's bad to wash your hands of something. And in this particular situation, with both Judas and Pilate, we see that these men are washing their hands of condemning Jesus Christ. We get this background from Matthew in verses 3 through 10, when Judas washes his hands of his guilt concerning the Lord and condemning him through the betrayal by acknowledging that he did something wrong, but then choosing to die as a result. Let's look at those verses in the text here. So we see beginning in verse 3, the first example of bad hand washing. We see in verse 3, Then when Judas, his betrayer, our Lord, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed, and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury, since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them to, for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. So we see with this first bad hand-washing example that Judas acknowledges that he's done something wrong, but instead of doing the right thing here, he instead chooses to end his own life. We see that Judas is so wrapped up in his remorse for what he has done to Jesus, but not so much who he's done it to, but the fact that he's done this to an innocent man. He is remorseful, yet not repentant. He's acknowledging that he did something wrong, but not recognizing who he did it to. We're told in the text that he changes his mind, demonstrating this remorse, but not repenting. Now, it's interesting that the word or the phrase changed his mind is used here because in other places in Scripture, changed his mind actually is the definition for repentance. So much like with other places in Scripture, we have to look at the context of the situation, of the words that are used in the situation that's presented. Because Judas changes his mind, not about the fact that he betrayed Jesus, but that he betrayed an innocent man, and he feels guilty. We know that he's not repentant, because he doesn't go to the Father about it. 
he instead goes to the religious leaders, the priests and the elders. We see there, then when Judas' betrayer saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind. He was remorseful, regretful, felt guilty, but didn't actually repent of it. Didn't truly go to God to make things right with him. Instead, he decided to do what a lot of people do, and that's to try to balance the scales. So we see that he was remorseful, yet not truly repentant, because he then tries to go do some good to balance out the bad that he's done. Not to actually fix the problem, but he's trying to even the scales. So he feels bad about it, he changes his mind, and he tries to bring the silver back to the guys that he got it from. And when he does, it's very interesting how they handle it. He wanted to try to somehow put a magic eraser to the choice that he'd made to condemn Jesus Christ. And he goes back to these religious leaders and he says, I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. Not I've sinned by betraying our Lord, the Messiah, but I've sinned by betraying innocent blood. And I don't want that on my conscience. And how do they respond? In verse 4, they very poetically say, that sounds like a you problem. They say, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Not a problem, man. You made the choice. You got paid. Our transaction is complete. So how does Judas respond? He's tried to make things right in his own mind, to balance the scales by doing a perceived good to try to offset the bad without actually truly repenting and going to the Lord, to God, to the Messiah. And when he finds out that he can't just have his conscience cleaned just by doing this seemingly good thing, Instead of going to the place where he needs to go, which is the presence of God, which is even Jesus Christ as the one who is sent by God, he instead chooses to end his own life. He chooses to kill himself. He departs and he went and hanged himself. He was so against doing the right thing for the sin that he had committed in condemning the Lord that he was willing to end his own life in order to get out of having to deal with that and doing what he needed to do, to truly clear his conscience and to truly know what it's like to be clean on the inside. And we find, when we look at this text, we see that acknowledging our sin, the sin that we commit, the things that we do that are sin against God and against his word, We see that only acknowledging our sin, but not truly turning from our sin and turning to God, only leads to death. We're told in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. A wage being something that we've earned for something that we've done, like working and getting a paycheck. We see that, that acknowledging it, but not dealing with it, not going to the Lord with it, not being truly cleansed on the inside from it, leads to, the scripture tells us, a a form of spiritual death. That following the physical death of when our life here is over, we know that if we don't know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we don't have a relationship with God that's based on Jesus Christ's crucifixion, his death, burial, and resurrection, then we know we will encounter a spiritual death and be separated from God forever. Scripture tells us that just owning that we've sinned is not enough. That no good that we could do to try to offset it will even the scales. And much like Judas, if 
we don't go to the Lord with our sin, if we don't ask forgiveness for it from the Lord whom we've sinned against, and we don't receive his forgiveness, then all we have to look forward to is death and separation from God. Acknowledging our sin and then dying in it is a very bad example of washing your hands of the sin that you've committed. Washing your hands right now for hygiene and health is one of the best things that you can do. But metaphorically, washing your hands of the sin that you commit in life is one of the worst things that you can do. We see that the chief priests then go on to take the money back, and they realize that it's such dirty money that they don't even want to put it back into the temple treasury. So they buy a field with it, a burial plot. We're told that they they buy something that's named the potter's field as a result. And it even fulfills a prophecy. Because none of this was a surprise to God, to Jesus at all. Just like everything that we're experiencing in life now is not a surprise to him. He's still in control just as he was even then. Jesus is in control as he moves toward the cross. He might, from what we read, seem like a victim, and yet we know that because this is God's plan and what he's doing, that he is in control of it all. And yet we are given a choice to make about what we do with our sin, whether we're going to avoid it or whether or not we're going to address it to deal with it, to not wash our hands of it and try to do enough good to make it go away. Judas is our first bad example of how to wash your hands of your sin and then have nothing but death to look forward to as a result. So you have to ask yourself, what am I doing with the sin in my life? Am I acknowledging that I've done things or am doing things and then doing nothing about it? Am I just trying to live a good life in all these other areas to offset the areas where I am sinning and try to make it okay somehow? If so, then we do that we're like Judas. And we don't have much good to look forward to in that situation. So Judas is our first example, but there's another one here in the text that we see. The next bad hand-washing example that we see in the text involves Pilate. Now, Pilate is the governor, and the situation is such that he, his home base of operations is in Caesarea. But he is in Jerusalem for the festival, so he's got like a makeshift area that's considered his place where he can entertain company, and in this case, uh, adjudicate a trial, or rather a release of a prisoner. And that kind of gives us a little bit of background on this as we find Jesus standing before Pilate. Let's look at the text there for that. Beginning in verse 11, we're introduced to Pilate, who also washes his hands of condemning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 11 tells us, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even, a single, not even to a single charge, so the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, 
Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called Christ. For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So we had Judas, who metaphorically washed his hands of condemning the Lord and tried to do something about it, but not what he should have done. And then we have Pilate, who too also metaphorically washes his hands of the Lord and his condemnation, but also literally washes his hands of condemning the Lord. Again, great hygiene, terrible for your walk. And when we look at this text, we see that there are a few different opportunities that Pilate has to actually do the right thing and to free Jesus, and yet he doesn't take them. He's almost looking for every opportunity that he can to try to make this thing go away so that he doesn't have to deal with it and do the right thing. And we see this first when he actually confronts Jesus about it, and he says, Are you the king of the Jews? And we find in John an actual account where there's a conversation that takes place between the two. And he goes back and forth with Jesus, and he essentially says, hey man, give me something to work with here, okay? I know that you're innocent. Uh, You say you're a king, okay? Now you're talking about this kingdom that's not of this world. Well, all right, that's not my problem. But, uh, you know, give me something to work with here so that I can let you go. These people are, are, they're, they're crazy. They want you dead. Why do they want you dead so much? I don't understand. But if you won't respond to me and give me some straight answers, I can't help you here. And we see all of that recorded in John, and I want to encourage you, when you have the opportunity, go ahead and look all of that up and read it. It's very interesting. We get a, a shorter, much shorter account here in Matthew, when he just simply asks him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds by saying, you have said so. But he says, look at the circumstances. Look at what's happening with these people. Look at them shouting to have you killed. And then we see in this text that Pilate sees the landscape and realizes that he can use the circumstances in order to essentially try to absolve himself of the guilt that he experiences in condemning the Lord. And we do that too. Sometimes when we sin, we look at the circumstances in our life. We look at the situations. We find ways to ignore, to justify what we do. And then to just push it down and bury it. To blame what's happening around us for why we've made this choice, rather than to face it, to deal with it. We avoid it. We distance ourselves from it. Much like with washing hands, social distancing is also strongly recommended and is a very uh, smart decision. 
and it's great for your hygiene and for your safety. But distancing yourself from God is terrible for your walk with him. And yet we do it. We look for circumstances, for situations, for all of those things to blame for why we've done what we've done or why we're doing what we're doing, and we don't actually address it. We wash our hands of the sin. And he does that here when he asks him, when Pilate asks Jesus about him being king of the Jews and, and their accusations and whether or not it's true. But we see something else that happens here in the text as well. Not only does Pilate blame the circumstances and the, and the situation, but we find that he also blames the people, the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And we see that in the trial of Barabbas. It was a common thing during the Passover week to free a criminal, to release a criminal. And Pilate, this is the amazing thing about the situation, is that Pilate is, is very manipulative here. He's not only trying to blame the circumstances and the situation, he's also trying to blame the people. And he essentially lobs a softball up to the people in order to try to give Jesus an out. Because the other criminal that's up for being, uh, being released is a guy by the name of Rabbis, who is an insurrectionist and an out-and-out murderer. A terrible guy. Absolutely awful. And Pilate's thinking, all right, well, if I can't get Jesus to work with me, and certainly I can get the people to work with me, certainly everybody's going to know Barabbas. They're going to know who he is. They're going to know what he's done. And probably Jesus has enough fans out there in order to win this vote like it's some form of American Idol. He's essentially uh, trying to play the odds here. So he says, if I just put terrible Barabbas up there, certainly there's going to be enough fans out in the audience who are going to have Jesus released. That's got to be the case. Barabbas, or excuse me, Pilate knows that the religious leaders are the one who want Jesus dead. So he's not counting on their votes here. But he underestimates the sway that the religious leaders have over the people when he puts Barabbas up against Jesus to be released. So he does that. He does everything that he can. He asks them several times, are you sure this is what you people want? And they respond by shouting, crucify him. So that Pilate can then sit back and blame all of the people rather than doing the right thing in releasing the Lord. Because that's something else that we do when we sin sometimes. If we can't blame the circumstances and the situation, we'll look for other people to blame. I did this because they did that. Or if they hadn't said this, I wouldn't have said that. Or they're the reason why I've done this. They forced my hand. And that's exactly what Pilate does here. He blames the people and looks at Jesus and goes, and we do it too. Instead of doing the right thing, facing our sin, going to the Lord with it, we avoid it. We distance ourselves from God. We look for situations and circumstances and people to blame. He did it. We do it. And then, if it goes on long enough, if we don't feel like we can blame what's happening in our life, if we don't feel like we can blame the people in our life, sometimes then we will just out and out deny it. We'll deny that, that's, we'll lie to ourselves, we'll delude ourselves. We see Pilate doing that in literally washing his hands. His wife warns him that she's had a terrible dream and that in this dream she should, he should have nothing to do with this innocent blood. So Pilate knows he's innocent. Everyone knows he's innocent. Judas knows that he's innocent and acknowledges it. 
And in a dream, Pilate's wife knows that he's innocent and says, honey, you need to just get away from this thing. Don't deal with it. Don't address it. Just figure out a way to get out of it. And he does. He literally washes his hands. He denies that it's all happening and that he could have any culpability in it. Look at the text. 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, Look at that, gaining nothing. He again reading the landscape, reading the people, seeing that things were not going his way, that he couldn't he couldn't ignore it and avoid it, so now he's got to deny it. He sees that a riot's about to pick up. People are starting to get incited. He then takes literal physical water and washes his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. Or this innocent, yeah, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. I want nothing to do with this situation. I'm not at fault. I can't be blamed. Even though I have the complete and total power to release Jesus of my own volition, I don't want to make that difficult decision because I don't want to face the decision that I have and I don't want to face my own culpability and his condemnation. So you guys figure it out. I'm innocent. And we do that too. We do that too. We don't accept responsibility for our sin and go to God with it. We're not willing to look into the eyes of Jesus like Peter did after he denied him. There is an example of somebody who faces their sin and that he betrays Jesus, denies him three times. And then we see that he looks across the courtyard into the eyes of the Lord and immediately repents. Judas would have looked away. Pilate wouldn't have even gone to the campfire. And Peter looks into the eyes of the Lord and repents. Actual repentance. When we deny our sin and believe ourselves to be innocent, that's when we're the most guilty. And that's what Pilate did. Pilate did here. While we're dealing with this virus right now, we know that washing our hands is great for your hygiene. Social distancing from people, great for your hygiene. Social distancing yourself from God is terrible for your spiritual health. It's when we sin that we need to go to him the most. And it's interesting that there's a verse, 1 John 1, 9, that tells us about what real cleansing is on the inside, cleansing for the soul. We're told if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that involves going to him. We can't acknowledge it and ignore it. We, we can't avoid it and hope it just goes away. We can't wash our hands of our sin and truly be clean. That only comes from going to Jesus Christ, owning our sin, and receiving forgiveness. We see from this passage, though, that Judas acknowledged his sin and chose death instead of going to God, while Pilate avoided his sin and chose to distance himself from both it and God. Both condemned Jesus, but neither wanted to deal with it. They washed their hands of it. We have a choice to make when we sin, too. Will we go to God for the cleansing power of forgiveness that only comes from confession? 
Or will we wash our hands of it to the detriment of ourselves and and to our death? That is the choice that we all must make whenever we do anything that is a sin against God. Wash your hands to prevent the spread of viruses, but don't wash your hands of your sin. Instead, confess it and be forgiven and know what it means to be truly clean on the inside. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these two terrible examples of how to handle our sin, of how to handle condemning our Lord, because we do it when we sin. And God, I just come before you today, come before you on behalf of all those that are listening. Lord, I pray that we would receive forgiveness for our sin, that we would face it, that we would face the betrayal of our Lord, that we would look him in the eyes, that we would be repentant for the things that we do, and that we would receive forgiveness and be truly cleansed on the inside. God, whenever we're tempted to wash our hands of the things that we've done against you, God, I pray that your spirit would work in us to convict us and remind us of the importance of making things right with you and being truly cleansed within. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross that we're going to look at in the weeks to come. Thank you for dying so that we could live and have a relationship with you. And it's in your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is his name we pray. Amen.